Let's take a moment and pray together as we prepare to hear from the Scriptures. Lord, we have to be honest and say that um, there's part of us that says, why stop and pray right now? I can hear just fine. Praying doesn't change the way my ears work. But um, it sure does change the way our hearts work. So if our hearts encounter your scriptures, if, if, if we hear your voice through your word from a posture of pride, as though we already know everything we need to know, then, then the result would just be more hardness on our part toward you. We do not want that to happen. We want our hearts to be soft and tender to hear what you have to say. And Lord, honestly, to say that you want to change us. There are things about us that are warped and twisted and shouldn't be. There are things about us that are blind. We want to be changed. So would you give us the courage now and the grace through your Holy Spirit to listen to your word in such a way that we would be glad to be changed in the ways that you want to change us. We wait and we listen. And we ask for you to do your work among us. Amen. So we're continuing our series over this summer called Trusting God When There Is No Normal. Um, the, the reality would have been there no matter what we called this sermon series, right? Nothing seems quite normal right now. And so, great to go to sections of God's Word that deal with that very kind of issue. So, we're turning our attention today to, well, to a new kind of message. A message that sounds like this. You're foreigners. You don't belong here. You're a threat. The very fact that you have faith in Christ is a threat to the rest of us. Why are you so backward? Why are you so out of touch with the reality? What is wrong with you? Why can't you just be normal like the rest of us? Imagine hearing messages like that day after day after day after day. It would turn your world upside down. Talk about a world in which there is no normal. It would be discouraging. The people who received the book of First Peter were hearing those messages every day. They were exhausted. They were ready to give up. And so their pastor, their shepherd, the apostle Peter, couldn't be with them. He was in Rome, and they were in a different part of the Roman Empire. This is a map of Mediterranean Sea, and you can see Italy and Greece as you work your way from left to right, and then over on the right, what today is modern Turkey. Well, Peter was over here in Italy and Rome, 1,300 miles away from people who are spread throughout this part of modern-day Turkey. 
And um, it's quite likely that many of them used to live in Rome where Peter was, and that persecution at Rome had driven them away from that city, and now they've landed in another part of the Roman Empire only to hear the same kind of message. You're foreigners. You don't belong here. Why are you here? Why are you so weird? Why don't you just stop trusting Jesus and being so different? And so Peter writes because they are ready to give up. They're going through what he describes as a fiery trial. Does God offer hope to people who are ready to give up? The answer is yes. He offers life to people who are going through fiery trial. We're going to hear today from the first few verses of this letter. Jordan Lynn is going to read for us. This morning's scripture reading comes from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So here's the book of 1 Peter, the short version. It starts with this. Life is hard, and sometimes following Jesus makes life harder. Now, that may not be the way to win people to uh, your faith, but it shouldn't surprise us that if at the center of the Christian faith is the Son of God, whose sonship An eternal deity doesn't protect him from a life of suffering and sorrow and even crucifixion. It shouldn't shock us that knowing that Jesus can sometimes make life harder. And so as you heard Jordan read the scriptures, you heard heard this reflected, verse 6 of our reading. For a little while you have been grieved by various trials. Now, the word various sounds like this nice kind of tame. There's a little bit of variety. Another way to translate that word is all kinds of. So these words are being written to people whose faith in Jesus is causing them to go through all kinds of trials. Their faith in Jesus is making life harder for them in all kinds of ways. You read later in verse 7. 
this image of gold being tested by fire, tested in such a way that all the impurities are being boiled to the surface so they can be scraped off, and what's left behind is pure gold. But being put in a fire and burned so that the impurities can be scraped away, well, that's not the metaphor you really want people using for your life, right? But sometimes trusting Jesus makes life harder. It results in what, what was happening in, in the book of First Peter is what I would call peer persecution. So this is not persecution of the official variety where the government says, we're going to show up and chop your head off with a sword. This is more unofficial. This is your neighbor rejecting you because... You trust this weird God called Jesus. This is the people you work beside telling jokes about you because you're one of those Christians. This is people shaming you because of your faith. This is people taking advantage of you and abusing their power over you. You'll notice later in 1 Peter, there are a lot of encouragements given to those who are in slavery and to wives who are believers in Jesus, married to men who aren't. It seems like people who were in those relationships were being abused because of their trust in Jesus. If you remember back in January, we had uh, several visitors from a local uh, synagogue, Sheriff Israel, excuse me. We have another online event coming up with them in early August. We're looking forward to that opportunity to reconnect with them. <clears throat> But in January, we were able to get together in person. And so uh, we were having a conversation after lunch, after some of them joined us for our worship service that morning. And one of the men who shared at the lunch said, you know, I have to be honest. I, I thought when I came here today, I was being set up. I thought that you guys were being so nice to us so that you could have us here and then just blast us as the people who killed your Messiah. I, I thought that I was being set up to be mistreated, and I found just the opposite. And I'm so thankful for the ways that we've been welcomed and loved here today. Well, now it was great to hear him say that, right? It was good that he had a very different experience than what he was anticipating. It was also hard to hear someone say, I didn't really trust you because you're Christians. And I thought because you were Christians, it was more likely that you were going to be mean-spirited toward me. It's good that that's not what this friend experienced. But it's hard to be reminded that and sometimes following Jesus makes your life harder. It makes people trust you less. It makes people think of you more poorly than they might otherwise. They might think that you're intellectually naive. They might think that you're immoral. They might think that you're filled with hatred toward anybody who doesn't share your faith in Jesus. Well, that's what the church was experiencing as Peter was writing to them in the first century, that kind of peer persecution, these kinds of assumptions 
that all the neighbors were having, that all the coworkers and classmates were having, leading to this constant pressure. Would you just compromise your commitment to Jesus? Even better, would you just give it up? Would you just be normal for a change? And so that's part of the short version of uh, 1 Peter. Life is hard, and sometimes it gets harder because you're following Jesus. 1 Peter also says this, when you feel like giving up, keep loving Jesus. Keep trusting Jesus. Keep rejoicing in Jesus. Listen again to verse 8. Though you have not seen him, now this is Peter who had seen Jesus, writing to people who came to faith in parts of the world where Jesus didn't live and walk and teach. So they hadn't seen him physically. But Peter says, though you haven't seen him, you love him. Keep loving him. Though you don't see him now, you believe in him. Keep believing in him. Even though life is hard and you feel like giving up. And then he says, you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. You rejoice because you know who Jesus is. Keep rejoicing in him. Even though you feel like giving up. And now, if you've been following along, right, it's, it's fair to ask this question, why? All right, so far we've heard that First Peter is telling us two things. On the one hand, trusting Jesus can make your life harder. On the other hand, keep trusting Jesus. On the one hand, loving him can cause other people to love you less. On the other hand, keep loving him. On the one hand... Knowing Jesus can bring fiery trials into your life. On the other hand, rejoice with inexpressible joy. How do I put those two things together? It's going to take a pretty big motivation to get me to keep doing this thing that makes life harder. What is that motivation? What is it that would make us follow Jesus when we feel like giving up? Because we will. Sometimes knowing him makes life harder. And we will want to give up. What is it that would keep us trusting him in those times? Here's the way we'll put it today. Keep trusting him. Keep loving him. Keep rejoicing in him because of the life that God gives us through Jesus. It is a life where every good thing is perfect and every hard thing is healed. That is the kind of life that your Father wants you to have. That is the kind of life that is yours. It belongs to you right now. You may not be fully experiencing everything about that life right now, but it is yours. Your Father wants you to have it a life where every good thing has been made perfect and every hard thing has been healed. So I was reading this week about the Supreme Court's decision related to the Muscogee Nation, the Creek Indian Reservation in the state of Oklahoma. I've been interested in those kinds of things for a while because I I got started several years ago studying about the American Revolution 
And the more you study about the revolution, the more you learn about relationships between the U.S. government, the government of colonies, and Native Americans. You learn about treaties that were made and then ignored. Treaties made and then broken. Commitments made and then just set aside. And so it was interesting to me and and, uh, something that actually made me happy that the Supreme Court said, you know, our government made this commitment that this land is part of the Creek Nation's reservation and we need to keep our word. We made that promise. We should keep it. And as I was reading some of the reaction of uh, officials of the Creek Nation, one man named Jason Salzman, he's their kind of press secretary, right? So he's the person you go to talk to for a a newspaper interview. And uh, he said that as he read the words of this Supreme Court decision, he found himself weeping. He he found himself crying and, and, and even over phrases and words that just caught him off guard. He was like, I was overwhelmed with emotion that I did not anticipate or expect because, and these are his words, it was a promise kept. I still get chills thinking about it. So imagine being being this group of people that so long has been mistreated, pushed to the margins, so long treated like you're, you're foreigners, you don't belong here. You have to forget your language. You have to forget your culture. In fact, you have to give back most of the land we promised that you could have. To be mistreated like that, and then someone comes along and says, nope, this land, it really is yours. It's got your name on it. It's yours. Does that instantly make everything better for the Creek Nation? No, I suspect there's a lot of hard work to do over the next years to figure out what the implications of this Supreme Court ruling are. But hearing this right now would change everything for you, wouldn't it? mistreated for so long, and now the court rules in my favor and says, this belongs to you. Even if it's going to take a while to work out the details, that changes everything. That's the Christian life, according to 1 Peter. The Christian life is learning how to be a, a people who don't always fully belong a minority people that are sometimes viewed with suspicion and treated like foreigners. And God comes to you and says, I have ruled in your favor. I have written your name on something. And it is yours. And no one can take it away from you. And it may take some time to fully enjoy all of the benefits, but it is yours. And that changes everything. Listen to the language that we hear describing this kind of life that God wants his people to have. This life where 
Every good thing will be perfect, and every hard thing will be healed. Verse 3 describes it as a living hope given to us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The life that God wants you to have can only be taken away if you can put Jesus back in a grave. If you can do that, then the life God wants you to have could be taken away from you. But you can't do that. It can't be taken away. Verse 4, it is an inheritance that cannot perish. It is undefiled, unfading. Inheritance. Now, to you and me, an inheritance sounds like something that's not quite mine yet. In, in, in English, in, in Western culture, we tend to think of an inheritance as something that will be yours one day, but it isn't yet. That's not how this word works in the New Testament. In this culture, the inheritance, it already has your name on it. It is already yours. Even before your father passes away and leaves it to you. It is yours. It's got your name on it. No one can take it away from you. That's what we're being told here. There's this kind of resurrection life that Jesus has. And when Jesus rose from the dead... God was writing your name on that same kind of life and saying, nobody can ever take it away, no matter what happens to you in this world, no matter how many fiery trials you have to go through, none of them will take your name off of the life that God your Father wants you to have. And you might have to walk through a long period of dark days before you fully see it, but nothing can take it away away we're actually told that it's being kept for us in heaven verse 4 this inheritance is kept in heaven for you now some people read that as oh my inheritance is i get to go to heaven no that's not what the text is saying it says jesus father son holy spirit are all guarding this inheritance for you keeping it safe in heaven where nobody can touch it so that one day jesus can bring it to you here right how do we know that well well because verse 5 says so we are being guarded by god's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time When will that happen? Verse 7 tells us, at the revelation of Jesus Christ, when Jesus returns, you will get to fully enjoy and experience this life that your Father wants you to have. It is a life where every good thing is made perfect and every hard thing is healed. The word salvation, you and I are accustomed to thinking salvation means God forgives your sins absolutely right that is a part of what the word salvation means in the bible but it's only a part it's only a part the salvation that's in mind here that that word also means healing there are people who walk up to jesus in the gospels and they say i need you to save me And what they mean is not i need you to forgive my sins so i can go to heaven when i die what they mean is I can't see. I need you to save me. I'm on crutches. I need you to save me. 
I need you to heal me. Now, Jesus has a way of turning around to those people and saying, yeah, you need me to save, heal your body. You also need me to forgive your sins. This salvation is big. It heals everything. Imagine a life like that where your whole self has been healed, where every hard thing has been healed and every good thing has been made perfect. That is the kind of life that God your Father wants you to have. He wants you to have it so much that he sent his son Jesus into this world to die. Verse 2 says that we were set aside for sprinkling with his blood. He sent his son Jesus into this world to to rise from the dead. Verse 3 says the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He will send his son into this world again at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We will experience that moment when the court rules in our favor and says, this is your inheritance, this kind of life, even if it all doesn't change right now, knowing that that life is ours, it has our name on it, does change everything. It gives us, it gives us hope so that in the hard days, the fiery trials, we can keep Loving Jesus. I want to use one example to show you that this is the kind of life that everybody wants. It's a life that involves hope. It's a life of inheritance. Got our name on it. Salvation. Healing of everything that is hard. Leading in the end to inexpressible joy because everything good has been made perfect Does everybody really want that kind of life? Hamilton says so. Right? If if you've been following the way people are responding to seeing Hamilton now, as opposed to when it first came out, it's it's kind of leading to a twofold response. Some people are responding by saying, let's emphasize what's good about this musical. Other people are responding by saying, let's emphasize what's hard about about watching this musical. If we step back and we say, well, what's good about it? Well, just look at the skills and the talents of all the actors, the incredible writing, the musicianship of the singers, the performers. I'm amazed at the skill of the bass player when I listen to the soundtrack. The creativity that's shown. I mean, are you kidding me? A rap battle about fiscal policy? Who's creative enough to come up with that kind of idea? How cool is that? The excellence overall with which this whole thing is put together, there's so much about it that's good, and there's a whole lot about it that's hard. Right? I mean, the whole, the whole story involves this tension between the ideals of the founding fathers of our country and the reality of slavery. And so the whole show is kind of shot through with this, this reminder of, of hypocrisy. And what happens when you hold up these lofty ideals, but you're blind to the way that it really needs to be practiced and lived out? It leads to mistreatment of so many people. There's this reminder as you watch the show that actors of color have had so few opportunities in our society. So on the one hand, you can look at that and say, oh, this is good. 
Look at the way that this show gives opportunity to people who haven't had it. It's also hard because it's a reminder. That opportunity has been slow in coming and so hard fought. And the whole thing, right, it's based on dueling. You insulted me, so now I have to kill you. Our hearts are like that, aren't they? You say something bad about me or one of my family members, and the only way we can recover is if one of us dies? What is that all about? The consequences of what happens when marriage vows are broken, the consequences of ambition. How many people are hurt because you want to be on the inner ring? You want to be in the room where it happens. It's a show where there's so many good things and so many hard things side by side. Can you imagine something in which all that good was present and all of that hard was healed? That's what everyone wants. The, the people who say, can we just emphasize what's good? It's because they want a world where the good isn't spoiled by the hard. And the people who are saying, can we talk about what's hard? Can we be honest? They're lamenting. There's so much good here, but it's broken by the reality of the hard. And what we all want is a, is a world where the hard has been healed and there's nothing left to sing about except what is good. Where all the songs and all the poems and all the stories are 100% good because all the broken things have been healed. And there's nothing left to lament. That's what we all want. This is what your Heavenly Father wants for you. That is what He gives you through Jesus. That kind of life, that kind of reality. He wants His children to inherit this. And you are his child if your trust is in Jesus. And nothing can take away your inheritance. Because Jesus already has this kind of life. Because of Jesus, the court has ruled in your favor. The promise has been made. And the promise will be kept. The inheritance is yours. Keep loving Jesus. Keep trusting Jesus. Keep rejoicing in Him. Even on the days when you want to give up because the trials have become so hard to endure. He has written your name on this inheritance. Nothing can take it away. I hope that will give you courage and strength in the week to come. Let's take a minute to give thanks together. Lord Jesus, we do thank you. We live in a world where people know what it is for promises to be made and broken. We live in a world where people know what it is to have an inheritance 
taken away. We live in a world that's full of hypocrisy. We live in a world where some people mistrust us because we're believers in Jesus and that mistrust is deserved because because Christians have done wrong. We have been blind and we have been hypocritical and we have been filled with hate. But Lord Jesus, you're kind and gracious to forgive us and to promise us more than we could imagine. Would you give us strength to keep trusting you, to repent where we have been blind, and to follow you into all that is good? Lord Jesus, help us to stay close to you, we pray in your name. Amen.